Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today, I want to welcome everybody to the Unimpressed Podcast today. And I want to welcome our guest, Gianni Russo from New York City. And I'm unimpressed. I haven't met this gentleman until now. And I want to welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Mr. Brian. Russo. How are you doing today? You got a Yankee hat on, though. You must be uh, something something to do with New York. <laughs> well, I kind of I kind of got a funny story. My my dad was born in Newark. Oh wow! Okay. And my mom was from North Carolina, and uh, our family, the Ruffalos, uh, Ginny and Tassio Sopranos, moved. He, Art Ruffalo moved the family out of Newark in '51, and they all settled in the bottom of the hill, North Caldwell. That's how North Caldwell started. So you have a little crime history in your life also. <laughs> it's very, it's very, very interesting because my grandmother used to never really told any stories till she got in her 70s, 80s. We were like, grandmother, you know, who was that guy lap you sat on, the, the mobster's lap you sat on when you were 14 years old? And um, she said Al Capone. And Al wow. Capone used to come to the house and bring L- Joe Lewis because the Italian, the, the Remicchio family, it was like 14 kids. And Alex Remicchio ran the railroad and he raised all the kids. And he was buddies uh, with Capone, I guess, because he ran the railroads. But before he moved to uh, Chicago, Capone? I couldn't tell you the date. Because he was in Brooklyn for a while. Then he went out to Chicago during Prohibition. Yeah, maybe maybe it's when he was in, in, in the New York City area. Is very possible. But Alex, I guess because he controlled the railroad system, I don't know what they were doing, but uh, they were good friends. They were using it for prohibition. <laughs> That's what they were using it <laughs> for. I'll let you know that much. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's funny. It's I got another little story, too, where I, I just... I moved to Charleston, South Carolina. I was in North Caldwell, New Jersey for the past 12 and a half years. And we moved during the pandemic. And obviously, we still come up to New York all the time. But you, you heard the movie, The Green Book? Of course. Are you kidding me? Nick Bolalongo? Tony Lip worked for us. Really? He worked at the Copa. That's how the book started, when he stole the hat. Are you kidding me? That was Costello's place. Number four, oh, really? 60th Street. I live one block away. The Copa well, did was... you know last name LaPerry? LaPerry from the Sicilian side? I know the whole thing, believe me. Well, Uncle Eddie was a LaPerry. My uncle, he married my grandmother's sister, and he was the, the uh, Sicilian side of the, the family. And I think Uncle Eddie was his brother. Well, because that, that makes a lot of sense because Costello was from Sicily. My great uncle sent him here, sent his mother and father here, as he did Carlo Gambino to New York, huh. a- Angelo Russo. Then they hung huh. him in 48 when they were cleaning up La Cosa Nostra in Sicily. Well, I mean, that's a very interesting psychology behind that. I mean, you look at a guy like you who looks like you were a creative guy and, you know, trying to make that decision, all right, I need to survive, right? And I'm, But I'm an artist. How do you 
weigh that decision when these family members and friends are around you that are in this type of business? Well, I've never been out of the, I've never been around people that weren't in our business. I was from Mulberry Street, which is, you know, Carlo Gambino, O'Neill Delacroque, everybody in the world was down there. And I always thought they were really my uncles because I was a young kid. And uh, if you read my book, when I was six and a half, I was put in Bellevue for five, for five years under quarantine on 30th and East End. And then I got out when I was 12. I was selling ballpoint pens up here in this neighborhood. And I was still a gimp. My left side of my body was still crippled. And that's how I met Costello. Had wow. nothing to do with family at all. <laughs> yeah. You think society dramatizes the lifestyle more than they should? They kind of over-exaggerate it? Because when you know these guys, they're just they're just like your friends, you know. They're just oh, they're normal no people. Deal. Oh yeah, I, I think the motion picture business has really. I mean, I, I could I remember the transition of people like John Gotti and all these people. Once they saw The Godfather, they took on a whole new persona. They were wearing sweatsuits and all of that. Now they're all dressed up. I mean, it's like it was so funny. Everybody wanted to be Sonny Corleone. Who was the guy that played in uh, Goodfellas? What was this guy's name? The story, who was Goodfellas about? What was the story about? Well, I, I never was involved with Goodfellas, and I, I didn't even, you know, I know all about it. But to me, that was in the Bronx, and I was never from the Bronx. I was always from downtown. I had, uh, what's his name? Henry Hill. I had Henry Hill. We, we developed a project, uh, and I knew his girlfriend, Lisa Caserta. We developed a project with Henry Hill after Goodfellas. We had his life rights after Goodfellas when he went into witness protection. Right. And this is a story I heard um, that, you know, when when the feds had Henry Hill, they wanted him just for the Latanza heist, right? Oh, yeah. Well, well, like, you know why, him. don't you? Because of, uh, well, I don't know how much you know about the Lufthansa heist. I was dating Kathy Burke at the time. That's, you know, her father was the, the, the kingpin of that whole thing. Huh. And, and, and good Burke. thing Henry Hill got out of there because nobody got paid. When they wanted to get paid, they got killed off. Do you know that money is still missing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the story I heard, I don't know if there's any truth to it, is like when Henry Hill started running his mouth about the Latanza heist, he started indicting all these uh, Italian capos, right? And at the time, I was told that Gotti was just a henchman right. for the mafia. And he and wanted to make a score. Because of Henry Hill running his mouth, took out all these leaders in the Italian mafia. That's why Gotti rose to power so quickly. Is there any truth? Do you think there was any truth to that? I know there was. Really? <laughs> no, I mean, that that's how he wanted to make his bones. He figured if he could do that, he'll move up fast. Up until that time, he was a hijacker. And what really pissed him off, John, is that that was his route. JFK, where he used to, I mean, Jimmy Burke was his idol up until that time. Uh -huh. But the fact that he took down you know, the Lufthansa heist was the biggest heist in the world. I still, until today, I think it is yet. So what what's going through your head as you meet a guy like Costello and... You know, well, I didn't even know who he was. I was 12 and a half years of age. And every time I saw the guy, he'd give me a few dollars, never take a pen, give me words of wisdom. And that went on for you know months. And then one day he asked me my, my name and I told him 
And he asked, who is Angelo Russo to, to me? I said, well, Angelo Russo is my great uncle on my father's side, my grandfather's side, because my grandfather was from Palermo, Sicily. My grandmother was from Naples. So we were, I had two great mob connections, the Camorra and the Mafia. <laughs> so it was like, you know, it was uh, like bookends and I'm stuck in the middle as a crippled kid. It was perfect. Worked out great. Here I am still talking about it. And, you know, you, you had a few trials and tribulations. I mean, they, the feds came after you, which you got out of. Yeah, I, well, I had 23 federal indictments and three murder ones that I never even sat in a jail or had a handcuffs on. I learned the Laura through Costello and the older guys, and even Nicardo in, in Sicily, I mean, in uh, Chicago, as I grew older. Now, when you see a high-profile guy has to turn himself in, his lawyer tells him he has got to show up on Monday to turn himself in. Because once you have an attorney representing you, they can't talk to you. That's why even on these uh, mystery shows or NYPD blew all of them. As soon as they say, I want to talk to my lawyer, they stop talking to you. But if you had the lawyer in place, they have to go to the lawyer. So I had the best lawyers all the time because they'd get in touch with them. They'd call me and I'd leave the country and I left again. (laughs) Interesting. What was going through your head? Was it? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Were you drawn more to the, the art? What was what was your makeup? What was your Well you keep mentioning the art, the art of making motion pictures, you mean? Yeah, because I think you have to have that internal drive. I I just love celebrity because of the fact that, you know, I, him, Costello owning the Copa, when I was like seven, my seventh birthday, Dolores Barone gave me a transistor radio and I was getting pretty depressed. I was already there four or five months and nobody was coming. I didn't know what quarantine meant. No parents, nobody came. And she gave me a transistor radio. And on the night before my birthday, December 11th, December 12th, I turned it on at six o'clock in the morning. And I'm hearing about this guy, Frank Sinatra, who lives in Hoboken, humble beginnings. And his mother was a barmaid. His father was a fireman. And he made this. He was doing six shows at that time at the Paramount every day, packing it. So he inspired me. It had nothing to do with the arts at that time. It was just, number one, I wanted to get out of the hospital. And I needed some motivation. And here's a guy that came from nowhere. And look where he was. And then spinning forward three years later, I meet him at the Copa. I'm bringing, you know, I was, I dropped a lot of money there every day for them. And I walk in, there was Sinatra warming up for his night show. And I couldn't believe it. And he looked at me. And then he looked at Julie Bodell, who was the operating manager at the time. 
and the front for Costello. And he said, not just would like to say, who's this guy? He said, oh, no, that's Costello's kid. And with that, he went on singing. So I sat down, listened to him for a while. And then they took a break. He put a cigarette in his mouth. And I went over and I lit it. And I told him, I said, how he saved my life. And he became my mentor, you know, a few years ago when I was in Bellevue. And he wanted to hear the story. And I told him the story. And he said, well, how'd you get the radio? I said, well, Mr. Gambino gave me the radio. He sent it up through a nurse. He said, like, Carlo Gambino? I said, yeah. He said, what's your name? I said, the kid. He said, no, what's your real name? I said, I was told only to say the kid. He said, well, who told you that? I said, Frank Costello. He said, wait a minute. Gambino gave you a radio. <laughs> Costello told, named you the kid. And I know he owns this place. He said, maybe I get to know you. You don't get to know me. <laughs> <laughs> Was Sinatra, did he have an amazing voice when you heard him? I mean, oh my what God, was that like? Yeah, yeah. He's my, he was my only singing teacher. Marlon Brennan was my only acting teacher. Sinatra's my only singing teacher. And I'm, I'm, I just turned my book, The Hollywood Godfather, into a musical. And I'm touring the world with it. I just came out of Sicily singing. And his old pose is Sinatra. It's amazing. Well, I mean, I know you. I know you say that. When I say arts, I'm saying you got to have some type of internal talent to pull off what you do. Well, I didn't, but I, I went. You know, I did. I mean, I had the anxiety, but I, I and, and unbeknownst to me, I went to the right people. How do you get Marlon Brando to be your only acting teacher? I got that. That happened because I was on The Godfather, and he wanted to make sure I did it right. And the same thing with Sinatra later on. I, I was already his friend. And I always wanted to become a singer. So that's how I backed into the arts. I was That's what I'm saying here. I don't know, at the age of 12 or 13, at 12, you know, I, that, that pedophile attacked me in the hospital. And I guess that's inbreded in me. I had no problem taking him out. Mm -hmm. And so with that, I didn't know what, where I wanted to go because I was getting accolades just in the neighborhood, the fact that I killed a pedophile at 12, and they thought, you know, the apple didn't fall far from the tree, my uncles and them in Sicily. Mm -hmm. So I was in a combination, and I'm glad I picked the one I wanted, that I didn't go to jail, and I'm still making motion pictures and still writing books, fortunately. Well, when I say arts, would you not classify yourself as the highly, uh, you know, a guy that's an actor, a guy that's a singer, like highly sensitive, like a highly sensitive, like your senses are very heightened and you can take those senses one way or the other. You can take those senses to entertain somebody or you could take those senses to maybe hurt somebody if you needed to. But did you ever feel that? No, I think I'm using them all. <laughs> <laughs> I just hurt somebody the other night in the park. These idiots try to take my jewelry off. I mean, it's crazy. I walk around with a stick that I had made. First, there were canes. And then everybody said, well, something must be wrong with Johnny Russo. He's walking around with a cane. I had these canes made with a three-pound brass skull on it at a hickory yeah. because I have a carry permit believe it or not, in New York. To get a concealed permit in New York is in impossible. But being yeah. that I'm an actor, they gave it to me. But my lawyers told me, you can't use it. Don't use it right now because you'll go to jail. So I started carrying a stick, this, car this cane. And so far, I'm four for four. Two knees, a jaw, and a wrist. <laughs> Well, do you think uh, after coming out of this pandemic is height in the city? I was just up there a couple of weeks ago, and it seems like it's a little, little, little bit of an edge to it. I mean, I was fine, but there's a little more of an edge to it than there was three years ago. Oh, my God, yeah. Well, I lived through the 60s. It was an edge. I lived through the 80s. There was an edge. And now I really think there's an edge now, but, you know, it's not. 
organized. It's just people responding to being homeless and whatever. And they're all, you know, unfortunately, a lot of them are mentally deranged and they're under a lot of pressure to survive. So they, they say things that, you don't. I'm, I'm not going to stand around and try to define it. I give them a warning. If they don't take the warning, lights out. See you later. Well, they say that there's 20% of society that this pandemic shined a light, shined a light on and their mental health, because a lot of people are able to cover it up. Right. And now that this has shined a light on it, it's kind of brought more craziness to the surface, if you will. How does a city like New York deal with that? I don't know if they can. They're trying. I mean, you know, this new mayor, he's starting a whole mental program. But I just watched something today. You know, they're taking people off the trains, bringing them to the emergency rooms that are already full. And then what do you do? Release them? That doesn't help them. They're going to have to turn some of these vacant hotels into mass mental institutions again. I don't know how they're going to do it. There's a lot of damaged people out there. Now, do you do you ever go back to Las Vegas at all? I was just in Vegas, just to the show in Vegas. I was honored, believe it or not, by the Latin Chamber of Commerce because I didn't realize myself. Early on in my 20s and 30s, I opened so many businesses. Johnny Russo Wig Worlds, Russo Castaldi Jewelers, uh, State Street Restaurant. Even Tiffany's, when I opened Tiffany's, I had Elvis open that up in, in the Tropicana Hotel. So they, they honored me for putting so many people to work. But again, it was subconsciously I did it. I just needed all these people. So I went back and I did a show there besides, which was really great to go back. But that's another what city that turned around, man. That's Jesus. That's scary. You know, I, I had the privilege of being, I went to Vegas in 1959 and stayed 30 years. So I was there. I, mean, I wouldn't, you know, I... I took Pablo Escobar's guy out in my club in State Street, and that's when I left. I figured I'm getting, getting out of here now, too. <laughs> um, did you know a guy out there named Dan Chandler? Dan Chandler? Of course. Dan Chandler. He ran Caesars. I know him well. Are you kidding? Really? Major, major guy. I was partner with his granddaughter, uh, with Aaron Chandler. We had Nick Cassavetes. We had Nick Cassavetes write a script about her story. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I can imagine. You know, about, about these Southern guys from Kentucky. You know, it was Ben Chandler who owned the paper and then Dan Chandler who was hired and fired from Caesar several times. And he also hung out with that crew that, that uh, hired Woody Harrelson's dad, first time to put a hit on a federal judge. So no, I know, very, I know. I mean, I had the privilege, again, because, you know, that when you're around people that they know you're respected and honored to say what I'm, you know, honored in that life, you you become across all of them. Wiggy Grove, I knew every guy he knew, Dan. <laughs> really? Billy wow. Weinberg, all those. Swifty, did you ever meet Swifty with him? I did not. Oh. I did not. It's a small world, though, I guess, huh? Oh, my God, yeah. When is when they get to that level, oh, these guys are dealing millions of dollars. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, and I was I was a part of that for a long time through the Vatican Bank. I moved a lot of money for, for the owners of the casinos <laughs> to get rid of their surplus. What What is that scenario with the Vatican Bank like? Well, that's, I, I mean, I got, I was respected because of a guy called Nick Nitty and Nick Nitty's obviously from the Frank Nitty family out of Chicago. And most people don't realize this history that Bishop Masinkis, who was the head fiduciary for the Vatican Bank, came from Chicago. And the only branch of the Vatican Bank is in Chicago. Nobody, I can't believe that, you know, the the FBI don't follow the, you know, the trace of the money. So yeah. we, you know, we, we, we moved. They, they're trying to say yet I've 
I'm, I don't attest to it. They said that we moved 600 million out in 15 years. Could be, but you know, you're not going to go to the Vatican Bank and find that out. I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, in the Vatican, they're the biggest landowner in the, in the world. In the world, largest stockholder in the world. And if you go beyond the Vatican Bank, there's the Solidarity, the oldest society in the world. You are not subpoenaing these people. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's going to the Vatican and saying, we want to look at your books. Yeah. Yeah, they got their own city. Hello. What was it like? What was it like meeting Elvis? Oh, I loved Elvis. I, I met Elvis in a, a very strange way. I remember, I, I mean, my, my recollect is amazing for a guy my age, but I met Elvis in Florida. Frank Sinatra called me. I already became friends with him for two or three years. And he said, come down here. I'm doing a special for NBC welcoming Elvis home. Now, I knew about Elvis, but I never got to know him. And he did the NBC special. In fact, it's in my show. I bought the clips, the show I just turned into a musical. I have the clips and it's Elvis and me and Sinatra. And then when he opened the hotel for a friend of mine called Kirk Kokorian, the International Hotel, the second week of July, I spontaneity is I opened my club that same weekend and had him come hang out there Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights and had all the PB, people on the PBX operators saying, you won't believe it was that, at, you know, Tiffany's, Elvis, that was all they needed. What's the, what's the tone, tone to you then compared to now when you talk about celebrity or you talk about Hollywood? It, was there a more celebrated tone in that time than you think now? Well, you know, at that time, it was it was a privilege to even know these people. And it was long before the media took over. And, you know, there's shows every night you could watch and know about celebrities. Years ago, there was a mystique about it, And I think that was the intrigue. You know, like everybody thought all the pit bosses were mobsters. Well, how could they be? I mean, most of them, the owners were, but not the pit bosses. You know, they built all that. And that's why I think women always came after me also. They liked that gray area. And and, and uh, it's, I, I've watched a lot of it, you know, and I'm, I'm still basking in it at 80. And uh, it's been a great, great run. I can't, I can't deny that. I'm very lucrative. Well, looking, looking back on it now, does it feel like you're, do you feel like you're 80? No. I, I got to remind myself every once in a while. Unfortunately, my body is not telling me that either. Like after I do this tonight, I'll go do three or four miles. Now that it's cold, I go to Bloomingdale's, a block away from my house. It's nine stories high. I do three floors. I do it three times each floor. It's three and a half miles, I come home. and It's in temperature control. <laughs> nice. No, I'm, I'm in great shape. Well, let me ask you a question. Do I look like I'm 80? <laughs> No, you look great. I mean, and you're very, very sharp. I couldn't tell. Like, if I didn't see you, I couldn't tell or whatever, you know. No, I've been so. blessed, fortunately. Really blessed. And then now, this, you, they're, they're, they're predicting I live to 120. Really? Well, I take stem cells. I'm on a, an experiment. I got shot uh, 13 years ago, close range. They brought me up to New York Presbyterian. And when they went in to remove the bullets, they used the, uh, the robotic operating table. 
And then they realized the left side of my body was smaller than the right side. And they asked me if I'd volunteer. Again, luck. Here is somebody else gets shot. Normally, they'll die. <laughs> they brought me into this experiment. And they used my stem cells from my right side of my body to rebuild my left side. And it's working. My hair is growing. I get a haircut every two weeks. I mean, it's craziness. How many, how many of those shots you got to get a, a week or whatever? No, I, I can go every 90 days now. I, okay. No, it, what, it's act like... If, at first, it was like being embalmed because you get on a table and they drain all the blood out of your filter and put it back in you. They sedate you. So, I mean, but I have energy my kids don't have. I mean, I got nine sons and two daughters and 10 grandsons. And they say, how do you keep going? I don't know. I mean, I just have fun, man. And all your your family now, are they in the New York City area? Oh, no, they're all over the world. No, I blame it on my boat. I bought a boat when I was 21, and everybody wanted to know where I escaped to. I go to Madeira, Spain, and get on this boat, and I could... I've been oblivious to people for up to 36 months. They didn't even know where I was. Stayed on the water. Stay on the water. Not really. I'm, I'm on the boat, but you can't. The boat's not chartered in my name. And the ownership's not in my name. The captain's is four generations already. I bought it when I was 21 for $3 million cash. So there was no trace of the ownership. And it's an Italian boat, a Riva. It's 148 feet, 28-foot beam. So I can go anywhere on it. And I have. <laughs> nice. Now, do you, do you, uh, where's the boat at now? Back in Madeira, Spain. What would you say? What's a guy, why somebody trying to shoot at you 13 years ago? What's it wasn't what? a guy, it was a girl. Do you believe it? It was a girl. It was a girl who her father's a very high profile senator, and she had a job in the Literary Congress. And I registered my book, and I had to wait for certain people to die. And she read the book, and she thought I had something to do with RFK's assassination. I mean, I was a messenger during that time, but nothing else. I didn't know who they were going to kill. I actually thought they were going to kill Robert because he was, you know, the mistake John made was make his brother attorney general, and he went after everybody that made him president. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was well, a, a strange that story. To, that goes to the, your Marilyn Monroe. How, how did you uh, hook up with Marilyn Monroe? Again, and by mistake, because I got caught by a Troon officer, and part of my route was going past Lindy's and winding up at Tootsie Shores, just delivering envelopes. I knew what was in them. It were the numbers and the wire money that these guys were betting all day. I dropped them off at barber shops and Costello's it was a Costello's idea. It was great for me because here's this little gimp kid. Nobody's going to stop me on the street. And a truant officer stopped me in front of in front of Lindy's. And he said, why aren't you in school? And I laughed at the guy. I was already doing this for two years. I said, school? Are you kidding me? But I knew he wasn't a cop because he had a brown uniform on. Unless he was a dog catcher, and I didn't care about that either. Mm-hmm. And he says, you, you have to go to school. How old are you? I said, I'm 15. He says, you got to go to school till you're 16. So he writes me a ticket. So I take the ticket, and I didn't care. I had like 5000 in my pocket. What's this guy going to do to me? So I walk into Twitch Shores, and Costello sees me with the ticket, and I didn't get it at first. And Jackie Gleason was there, Joe DiMaggio, everybody was in there. That was the watering hole at the end of the day, or the beginning of the day most of the times. And he said, how'd you get that ticket? Walking too fast? And I didn't get it. And he took it, and he said, this is a true officer's ticket. He said, how old are you? I said, I'm 15. He said, how long are you working for me? I said, about two and a half years, three years. He said, well, you got to go to school. I said, I don't want to go to school. He said, I'll take care of it. So he took care of it. The next day, I go see him. He said, you got to stop at Wilford Academy. It's on top of Lindy's. Just go up. Just sign in until you're 16 and don't worry about it. Well, I got there that morning. I'm already dressed to do my errands for him. 
I didn't need to meet him until 11. This was 9 o'clock. I look over the shoulder of this lady telling me I don't have to be here. There's 20 or 30 young girls there. Where are you going to find 20 or 30 young girls in New York City at 9 o'clock in the morning? I was there every morning at 9 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> but then they came in for shampoo boys. Mark Sinclair and Kenneth came in. I didn't know what that even was. And the teacher explained to me, if you go become a shampoo boy for these guys, it's like credits for school. And they were working at Lily Dashay, a haberdasher on 56th Street. I used to pass that place all the time. All limousines, society women. So I was hoping they'd pick me. I didn't know they were two fun oaks. So that was a good looking kid at the time. They picked me right away. The fourth head of hair, I'm, I'm, I was washing Marilyn Monroe's head. I couldn't believe it. Wow. And at night when Costello went home, I either go to St. Patrick's Cathedral because I made a novena for St. Anthony to get me out of Bellevue. And then I'd go to Paramount Pictures, which is still a part of my life. That's who released The Godfather. Unbeknownst to me, I'm going to Paramount was open 24 hours a day. I'm watching Some Like It Hot. I watched the monster 10 times. In fact, the, the, the lady, which is a funny story, the ladies at the you know the uh, candy counter, I'd get a big thing of popcorn. They'd give it to me for nothing because you know, I was, they felt sorry for me. And every night they kept giving me more and more napkins. They knew I was masturbating in the balcony over Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> <laughs> And now she's laying in my, my shampoo basin. I can't believe it. And I don't even know how long I was looking at her. She said, is somebody in here? Because she's facing the ceiling, you know. So yeah. I went over there. And then they taught me how to, you know, test the water and touch their wrist and let her approve it. Then I read the card. She likes a strong massage. So I start massaging. She's moaning like we're having sex. So I get an erection. I must have been poking her in the ear with it. And then she started requesting me. And that was it. And that, you know, one thing led to the next. And I wound up in the Waldorf Astoria with her for three days. Interesting. Now, did she kind of let a little bit of a crazy going on there? She had, you know, I, you know, I felt sorry for we, her and I hit it off over conversation first because she met me and when I knocked on the door because Costello took the weekend off, but he was hiding her out there for a year. She was in New York for a year that time, going to school in Strasbourg. She really wanted to become a, an actress, not a sex symbol. So with that said, when I got up there, we started talking. And uh, I told her my history about, you know, me being in Bellevue at 12 and polio. And unbeknownst to me, she was put in an orphanage at 12. And she used to look out the window and see the tower of the, of the of Warner Brothers. And she used to fantasize of someday becoming an actress. And me, I just, once I got the window bed in Bellevue after two years, I was looking at the skyscrapers of like, uh, you know, the, uh, the Empire State Building. And because mm -hmm. I never saw buildings that tall from Mulberry Street, everything's only five or six stories. So and that's how we hit it off. And then that was a Saturday afternoon. I left on Monday morning. And I have to tell you, <laughs> it changed my life from that day on and, and stayed friends with her right up until Caldiva. You know, I was up there when they set that whole thing up. And she went crazy. Three days later, they killed her. And I said it. I said it in '95 that Bobby Kennedy arranged it. Everybody, even even my publishers, were afraid to you know publicize it. But now, if you mm -hmm. watch the Netflix thing about Marilyn, they have him in our house for four four hours before they took her out. So yeah, he was in town. I know, but prior to that, he said he wasn't. But how's an attorney general go to California and nobody knows he's there? <laughs> They got pulled over with Peter Lawford on Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> mm -hmm. I've done my homework on this one. Yeah, it's funny. I went went by her house. I I had an apartment in Brentwood for a little while, so it wasn't far from 
Sunset and Barrington, I had a high place. Very interesting uh, stories there. I mean, oh, you you weren't even from you weren't far from OJ's house either. There, <laughs> yeah, that's right around the corner, right? I know. <laughs> interesting. At the time when that went down, what did you think? I I didn't. I mean, I went to see Costello when I came back from Calneva, and uh, I told him what went on. That's the only reason I was there. It was his eyes and ears. And I told him, he said, well, and his whole demeanor changed and he reached next to him. This was on a Tuesday and he handed me a manila envelope. He said, you got to leave the country for a while. I said, whatever you say. And he said, there's, there's you know, there's 15,000 in there. And I I just signed you on the independence of ship. I said, how'd you do that? He said, well, I signed you on as a hairdresser. Captain Pennington's a friend of mine. This is how smart this guy was. He said, I signed you on as a merchant marine so they won't know where you are. I didn't have to use my passport or nothing. And I never realized that. You know, if you're a merchant marine, it's like being in the armed services. While yeah. you're on, when you were commissioned to a ship, you were commissioned to the ship. So I got on the boat, and he said, when you get to Barcelona, somebody will pick you up. We were going under the Verrazano Bridge that morning, and they announced the president was shot. And then everything came together with me in my head, saying, uh-oh. And the blood drained from my head, because I, like, I got to know Senator John F. Kennedy over the six months every weekend at the Sands Hotel while they were moving him around to get nominated. Then once he got nominated, I never saw him again until he got elected. When I saw him that night there, when Costello wasn't going to go out of, out of courtesy, they sent him an invitation. He said, you want to go? I said, I'll go. You know, I'd go anywhere at that time. Mm-hmm. And that, that was the last time I saw Sinatra and him together. And that was the last time Sinatra saw him. Because when he made his brother attorney general, they had to end that friendship, which almost killed Sinatra. Sinatra was so pissed at that. Those guys stood up, stood up for them and, you know, helped them out a lot, right? Without them, they would have never got in. That's all I was doing. I was meeting every union head in the world. You name them, Teamsters, culinary union guys with envelopes. And they, they paired in those ballot boxes and got them elected. They never had a Catholic president that early on. And then, uh, you know, Bobby screwed him. Well, Joe, Joe made the deal with the mob because they were all in prohibition together. Joe Kennedy made $30 million in the 30s with Costello. That's why Costello and him were so loyal to each other. But Bobby didn't want to have it. They, you know, Bobby was uh, Ethel's little pet, and he was going to show his father and his brother that he had more power, which, you know, we, we see that with siblings all the time. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, it, all that stemmed from their fa- their father, right? Because he, yeah. oh yeah, Joe Joe had connected all all the while. I I remember go I remember going to Palm Beach and delivering a message in an envelope, and then he had a stroke right after that because uh-huh. Costello said we're going to start killing your kids. I found that out later, but I thought it was going to be Bobby long before John. And when did that when did that calm down? Well, calm down after they killed Bobby. Then it was mm-hmm. over. It was See, done. I, I was, I was, it's so funny that you should bring that up because I was with Carlos Mathalos that Sunday. He used to have these big barbecues down in New Orleans. I liked him a lot. And I was down there after the presidency and all of that. And everybody was really pissed. It was about a year and a half already went by and they didn't invade Cuba. They promised invading Cuba. And that was the deal they made with the mob. We'll give you back your casinos. Because, you know, after they took out Batista, Fidel Castro took over and that was it. They left millions down there. So that's why the mob went along with it. Mm-hmm. And Bobby stopped that and convinced his brothers no missiles on Cuba. But that afternoon, they raided on a Sunday afternoon Marcellus's house. First of all, the feds don't even work on Sunday. 
Mm-hmm. And Bobby was there. And Bobby threatened. I mean, uh, Costello, uh, Marcelo threatened him. He said, you're dead. And he had all the press there. He said, what'd you say? You're a dead man. He said, you're threatening an attorney general. And he said, I'm not threatening you. I'm promising you, you are dead. <laughs> wow. And, you know, a couple of weeks later, he was dead, man. Interesting. What what do you what is that position like today? They're I all politicians. Oh, I don't know that. I mean, look where we are. <laughs> Jesus, I think we were better off when the mob was running it. <laughs> uh, that's what I I go to a country club in New Jersey, and I believe like all the mob are cops now. Hello, <laughs> that's crazy. It's amazing. You know what I'm saying? I know. I mean, I knew. Well, because well, I'm very close with the Chicago mob. They had Truman. They had they had presidents long before that, you know, and, and after it. Ronald Reagan, Nixon, they were all their guys. Ronald Reagan would have never been president. If it wasn't for Lou Wasserman. Forget about it. Lou Wasserman. That's, that's, a, that's a name. Hello. He had a little position in Hollywood. Uh, yeah, I would think so. Interesting. Yeah. I got a lot more books coming out. You're going to enjoy it. In <laughs> fact, my new book is coming book? out now. My new book is out already. The Hollywood Godfather? No, The Sixth Family. The Sixth Family. If you go online now, your audience goes to The Sixth Family. It's out now, and it's flying off the shelves already. What's the What's the elevator pitch about The Sixth Family? <laughs> The Sixth Family is a guy who's a, a disgruntled guy. You would probably think he was John Gotti. And he thought he was going to take out the other five families in New York and create the Sixth Family. He'd be the head of it. And it's uh, laced with Marilyn Monroe, a daughter that we had together, nobody knew about. So she's exposed in this. But it's, uh, it's a page turn, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so you have, you have a kid with Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, a, a girl. She's 63. And where is she at today? Well, she was living here for a while. Now she's back upstate. She wants no identity to her. We we found out later on, I casually threw Costello, believe it or not, because he always loved Marilyn. He was taking care of her for a long time. I think you like this book. <laughs> That's a pretty when the when when they gonna make the movie. That's a that sounds like a movie. It. I mean, I have the interest now of a guy that you know. I mean, he came to my show just recently. I did a show at Herb Alpert's restaurant, Vibrato, on tour with this with the show with the the Godfather, Hollywood Godfather. I turned that into a musical, and I've been doing like I did three countries and thirteen cities already. And Mel Gibson, believe it or not, I never I don't didn't know him. I know of them, obviously. We all did. He and Gene Simmons came to my show and they were in awe with the show. And I got to meet him. I sent him the book and he's interested in that book and any other book I have. And, you know, he could do anything he wants at this point. He's worth hundreds of millions of dollars and he's looking to get back into the business. I'm hoping it's going to be these books. He wants to create like a new Bond series with Johnny Russo. Wow. I mean, it's a very colorful story. I mean, I think we need to get back to those types of stories. You know, I think we've pushed some of this creative a little, I I guess we've pushed this creative to me that's a little disconnected. And I think if we can tell these stories that are more about the roots of, you know, America and people in in America... I think we got to get back to those stories. And I mean, that's funny you should say that. That's almost verbatim of what he's saying. You know, it's great all this sci-fi stuff and special effects and people flying through the air. But let's get, like, you know, b- back to the, the, the roots, the, what's really going on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's more relatable. 
Oh yeah, right? that's definite. And you don't you don't hear those stories. I mean, what gen is there a generation that don't know the history of the mob? Well, that's that's interesting. We should say that also. I think that's why my career keeps going. I fill showrooms and four different generations, young people. They, they, they come up to me on the street. Hello, Carlo. They, I mean, it's like you can't. Get, I love it. And why wouldn't I? You know, it's. It's self-rewarding. Well, it's kind of like the Marty Bregman. I, I raised some money for Marty Bregman, who produced Scarface, and that didn't hit till 10 years later when the rappers picked it up. Maybe there's that run again in that space. Well, I mean, we you know, it's funny you should say rappers. Joel Ortiz, I don't know if you know who he is, probably one of the most, I mean, he's got 270 million followers. Arsenic, the producer, another guy is a monster. They wrapped my book. My book is out there, but they can't find an audience for it. I'm thinking we make that the soundtrack of the first movie. <laughs> yeah. What is your what's your what's your ultimate like if you have an ultimate showrunner director for the book, who would it be? You know, that's a good question because of the fact that I mean, the showrunner, I don't even get we didn't get to that yet. I'd like to know who has the foresight, the old school that could put some of that old color into the you know, if Coppola was coherent. He'd be the guy, because look what he did with The Godfather. I mean, this guy, and, you know, I was side by side to him. He was not a few years older than me. I mean, his choices were unbelievable. We're here talking about it yet. And it has to is, be is, that subtle approach. Is there a... Um... Is there a 20-year-old you in real life out there? I, I maybe. I, I, you know, there's a couple of guys I know that I, I think could do it. And I, actors, too. And you know who I really thought would be the guy? and But he got caught up in this Me Too thing as a young director was Brett Ratner. Because his yeah. grandfather was a major guy. And he was raised by Al Malnick. And he was around that whole life. You know, you have to, you have to smell the garlic, even though he's Jewish. And he had, yeah. he was on both sides of it. Yeah, actually, I, I've been to Brett's house in, in Beverly Hills years ago. Um, so how are you know, involved? Yeah, you remember. keep throwing these names out. How were you involved with all of this? Marty Bregman, Brett Ratner. I mean, my best friend was Eric Nice. He was on the very first Real World, hosted the grind on MTV. Right. Um, my mentor was Kim Parks. He was uh, a business affairs guy at uh, Warner Brothers and business affairs at MTV. But Kim Parks is the when I asked you if you knew Clem Caserta, Ken being my mentor. Ken introduced me to Clem. Clem was, oh, Clem is uh, I guess, stuff. De Niro's best friend well, he in thinks Staten so. Island. He thinks he is. <laughs> Clem <laughs> thinks everybody's his best friend. You know Clem. You know Come Clem? On. Of course I know Clem. I know his sister. Hello. He, <laughs> he tried to get free tickets out of me the other night. I can't believe using his sister, who lives in Red Bank, who was friends with my, my, with my mother, no less. Really? Clem don't change. <laughs> you know, he's a hustler. Let me ask you another. I'll tell you another friend of mine, because I did a boxing match at the Ohica Castle. Gary Millius. Who? Gary Millius at Ohica. Ohica Castle. Don't know. In Long Island, in Huntington. Don't know. I, I know of the guy, but I don't know. Yeah, I met a lot, I met a lot of guys through him as well. What's well, yeah, that? As you know, I mean, it's so hard to weed them out of who's real and who's not. They play a good game. Well, the, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story with, with Gary that got his attention. Because I was a redneck in New York. You know, Hillbilly has had the southern accent. And I... Frank McKay invited me to this, this uh, I guess it was Sunday. They had the Sunday lunch or Monday lunch. I can't remember what day it was. But I was doing some stuff with Lou Duva, right? Because I was an advisor to Vicious Vivian Harris. So we threw a boxing match, and I brought Lou Duva to one of those 
lunchings with the judges and stuff. And then when Lou showed up, they're like, they gave me credibility. They're like, Hey, you brought Lou Duva here, you know? And, uh, that kind of got me in that world because I was touched in the, the, the boxing world for a minute, but that's, that's not a business you want to be in. Not, not anymore. I used to, <laughs> I used to go to Madison Square Garden anytime I wanted with Costello. That's when you're really in the business. <laughs> Interesting. Did, did you know Lou? No, I know of him. I basically with those kind of guys, I, you know, today, you know, after the, like you, you meant, you mentioned, you know, uh, Jimmy the weasel and all these kind of guys. There's too many rats out there, and yeah. I, you know, I got a, I got a, a past that I, I preserve, and they all want to come to my house. I don't let anybody around me, especially yeah. now. I mean, and you never know who's wearing a wire in anything today. Everybody's a rat. Yeah, you can't trust anybody. There's not any real people out there. I lost one of the realest. I mean, I lost a guy two weeks ago. That I could talk about him now because he's passed. This was a real guy. I, mean, I don't know if you ever heard of Tony Federici. If if you, I used to, I mean, if you went on Wikipedia now and looked up Tony Federici, it said underboss to the Genovese family and entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> he owned Parkside Restaurant and the whole surrounding six blocks. Wow! And uh, he just passed two weeks ago. But they, you know, there's some of them out there yet that you know they're under the radar. They, they, they don't want to be around anybody. Well, I mean, it's like you live, we live in Big Brother now, so you just can't. You really Hello. can't do anything. No, I wouldn't jaywalk. I mean, what I did 20, 30 years ago. I'd be doing life today. Yeah. If that, maybe electric chair. Who knows? <laughs> it's craziness. Yeah, that is nuts. I mean, it's, uh, and you, and people are just, I don't know, that people put no value. Well, people put no value in themselves in return. They're, they're not going to respect anything. They have no respect for anything because they have no value in themselves. That's that's amazing that you said that because we had a conversation just recently. I was in Sicily. Uh, I went over with Jacob the jeweler, and Jacob uh, is basically indirectly in, into some licensing that I have. I own quarterly owned fine family foods and all that, and he licensed the Godfather watch, which I thought he was insane. And yeah. he's selling these watches at five hundred thousand, seven hundred thousand. He flies me over in a private jet. We have a party over there. You will not believe. Well, Abalonia got blown up in the courtyard that morning when Michael said, no, no, don't start the car. Well, we had a party there. The guy sold 10 watches at the party. I thought I was wow. nuts. This guy is a genius. Wow. But only to show you, you don't know who's what and where. But I mean, it's 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 crazy. The wealth, I mean, it's unbelievable. And I, I'm just seeing now because we already, we just had the 50th anniversary to Godfather. And if you went online now, you'll see my products all over the place. We're in 73 countries. We're doing the same thing for the Godfather 2. We're doing the same thing for Godfather 3, even though it wasn't great. Then we're, I mean, I got a seven year run with this thing mm -hmm. because people are so enamored with that life and that product. It's crazy. When you did that movie, did you know, did y'all have a feeling that this thing was going to turn into what it was going to turn into? Or just We didn't even think it was going to be released. Paramount kept threatening Coppola to fire him. They hated Pacino. The first dailies were at my wedding. The first time anybody saw Pacino on screen other than Panic and Needle Park was in an army uniform. And they were ready to pull the plug. Charlie Blue Dog just bought Paramount at that time, Gulf and Western. And he said, are you kidding me? This ain't a mafia movie. <laughs> 
It's like, but you know, Coppola kept going. Look what we have. It's a masterpiece, which I'm yeah. glad I'm a part of it. I mean, I, I hear it not, not that me saying it's a masterpiece, but it's recognized as a masterpiece. Oh, absolutely. Well, you will never die. It'll be in history for here and for eternity. I mean, you know, it's a, uh... it's a, it's a nice thing to have. I mean, I, my, my other relatives are memorialized in a different way. I like the fact that <laughs> from a mob movie. <laughs> Well, I, I, I'm not going to hold you up too much longer. I've took up about an hour of your time, but it's you're been not, a great you're conversation. You're not holding me up. I, pre- I, mean, you're, I tell you right now, I don't know you, but you're an interesting guy. I, I mean, just the names you, you – and I know you're not just dropping names. or in conversation. So we got to get together and talk. But um, I, I, I'd, I'd like you to read the book. In fact, I'll send you one if you want. Okay. Yeah, I'll have Mimi uh, send you an address. Send me the book. Absolutely. I want you to read it. I think there's a franchise here, and you seem okay. like you're a businessman. This is uh Oh, absolutely. And there's a definitely there's a definitely need for it. Let's put it that way. Well, maybe Cassavetti's. I mean, hell. Well, he's Cass- dead. No, well, his son, Nick. Is Nick doing anything now? I don't know. He just did. Uh, what's it? Uh, God is God. God is a bullet. I think I haven't heard anything about it being released, but I know Jamie Fox was in that movie. You know, Jamie Fox is a guy I love. You know, I, I took uh, Jamie Fox out of TV and put him in any given Sunday. That's one of my big really? movies. And it's funny that we should say that. Yeah, I mean, Jamie, I mean, we have 38 movie stars in that movie. That was Pacino and, and Oliver Stone. We got together at Dan Tanner's. They knew I had something to do with football. My brother-in-law, Pat Bowen, owned the Denver Broncos, just won Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And that's how we put that movie together. Wow. Yeah, some great actors in that movie. Oh my God, yeah, and with so much, I, we got Charleston Heston out of retirement. He played, he played uh, 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 Agalpoo from uh, the NFL. And, and, and funny story, Anne Margaret, who I love, I, I casted her for Cameron Diaz's mother. So I called the husband, and he said, Johnny, come on, you know she's an alcoholic. I said, did you read the script? He said, no, we can't read the script. I said, she's playing an alcoholic. She don't even have to sober up. I want her just the way she is. And she was <laughs> amazing. Next time wow. you watch it, you'll hear her slurring her words and everything. She wasn't acting. We just kept giving her what she wanted to drink. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You know, hell, you never know till you try, right? Hello. All well, right. Well, thank I, you so uh, much for your attention. And anytime, call me, man. I love it. Yeah, I, when you're I an intelligent city, guy. I, you ask the right questions. You know, I, I get on this stuff and sometimes they're talking about another guy. Says, That's not me. You're talking about another actor. Oh, oh, I got these in my notes. Well, do your homework. You'll call me the next time. <laughs> Yeah, I try to dig into the personality, you know, kind of interview them from the ground up instead of from like the top down, you know, like kind of well, find out smart, what they're really about. But I think when you review what you do, and you know, I'm sure you analyze everything you do, that's probably why you have the audience you do, because mm-hmm. people are hearing stuff they're not going to hear. Absolutely. Well, if you need a good book about history, The Sixth Family, name of the book? That's the name. That's it, man. The Sixth The Sixth Family. family. Six family about the sixth mafia family, potential mafia family. Um, and it's on, it's on Amazon right now. You, you know what thrills me most about that? I go on Amazon What's now and I have two books that are being bestsellers. <laughs> nice. And I'm an illiterate. That's what I want. I want these kids <laughs> to know 
I never went to school. Yeah. And that's why I, if the last sentence in my first book was, yes, you can. Because if I could do it, anybody can do it. I want to motivate. I want to motivate even my grandsons. They're all yeah. on these pomps. They're, they're, dead, they're brain dead, these kids. They're all on these little things. That, yeah, we need to get them off technology. Oh, man. They got no imagination. They can't even correspond. Mm-hmm. What do, I have a theory about that is when you put when you put all your sensibilities right and you don't experience it's a swipe left swipe right decision you put no emotions in your decisions so if we have all these senses right and we don't utilize them and we step step away from that and we get in the real world one we overreact because we haven't used our senses growing up properly right plus you 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 don't respond to anything because you never you don't know how to respond it well i think you know what you, you just hit on What's going on with mental health in this world mm-hmm. today? They don't know how Absolutely. to deal with it. They never have. Absolutely. Been. Well, we're trying to balance, and I, I mean, I could get on a soapbox about this all day long, but we're trying, you know, we're trying to equal percentages. You can't equal percentages, or, or you can't make percentages equal. And not, and, and you know, and they're trying to control us biologically. Yeah, that's why I don't. We're take fighting those. against the universe. Hello, that's why I don't take those vaccines. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're literally fighting against the universe and we think we're trying to help it by making everybody equal, but it, we weren't meant to be that way. Because you could look at the, I can't remember, the Vivarian painting that Da Vinci did. Right. That's about balance, yin and yang, balance. Yep. Right? The numbers of that are tied to the pyramid, but that's kind of the, the code of the universe. And we're operating against that. Not you or I. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. I'm telling you that, man. I'm including you, and I've I've got 80 years into it. You're on the right track, man, obviously. Well, thank you, sir. No, thank you. I appreciate you coming on the show. Anytime, please. Uh, Mimi, call me. She's delightful. Everybody that I met through you all, because, you know, I I don't even know how to turn this thing on. Thank God I got texts. Thanks for coming on the show. This is it. This is the Hollywood. What am I I calling you? I'm, I'm calling you the... The Hollywood, the Hollywood Godfather, I guess. I don't know. The Hollywood Godfather? I can't get indicted for that. <laughs> uh, thanks for coming on the show. This is the Hollywood Godfather, Gianni Russo from New York City. And uh, it's been a great conversation. And I'm John Edmonds Cosma, the CEO of Bang Productions. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 